Blog Talk Radio.
Hi, and welcome to our Sue show. You've got through to the one and only Sue tonight. Tonight is a bit of a different one, really. Um, a lot of you see me as this uh, very much a strong person, strong character, bit of a leader, if you like. You know, one that's uh, there for everybody. Um bit of all sorts, really. You know, I'm the one that's always taking the crack out of everything, you know, literally having a laugh about the lot and, you know, and really being there for everybody else, you know. Um, I've literally come to, I've had parts of my lives, parts of my life that, you know, there's part where you really want to delete and there's parts where you want to go back to because it was a good time. There's parts where you just really do want to forget, in this last few weeks, whilst we've been doing the Worldwide um, Canine Crusade, um, it's been quite funny because we've had myself and Claire and Steve have been working, oh, you know, stupid hours, 18 hours pr probably a day. By the time we've started in the mornings, we've done our own thing. Then we've got on to the, uh, what we need to do to hopefully amend the BSL laws. And then we've been having to sort out our own family things and our own businesses. And then I do the show. And then we have a catch-up where everybody wants to know whatever, this, that, and the other. And by the time I'm going to bed, it's then 2 o'clock in the morning. And I suppose, in a sense, you are literally, you are putting yourself, I put myself in that laptop where I am safe, where I can literally be in control, if you like, and where I can pretty well forget everything else. Bit, bit of a strange thing, I suppose. You know, you, you go into hours and hours, and you literally are able to switch off even though you're rushed off your feet. But the trouble is, in, in, within all of that, there comes a time when, you, obviously, everything has to catch up with you. Life catches up with you. There's things in my life that have made me have a learning curve, and literally where I've literally had to deal with things but still put everybody else in front of me. I have had people literally saying to me that they've had enough of their life. I have had inbox messages of people telling me that other people have told me they want to end theirs. I've had stories that people have told me that haven't been true. I've had it where they've told me that they've lost children. I have seen where people have actually said to me that their children have committed suicide. I've seen it where they've lost their gran. They've lost their granddad, they've lost their sister, their brother, their, you know, their nearest and dearest. And all of these things I have taken on board. And all of those things still, in, in anybody, whoever you are, still drains you to a degree. And it is damn hard. You know, people want you to try and save them. And they want, you know, you to literally step up the mark. But at the end of the day, I am still one person behind this show. You know, it is literally where I try and help everybody. And it's literally where I do, I literally do try to be, I am me. The thing is with this show is that I, what you see to a degree is what you get. But I've never really put my personal life in front for everybody to hear. And at the end of the day, I've been talking to Claire tonight. 
And she said to me, she said, are you going to do the show? And I said, I don't know really if I'm up to all this, to be honest. And she will you know, make out as if it's a friend. I said, that's not what I'm about. The Asu show has always been about me. I've always said, what's black's black's white's white. There's never been a grey. The grey is what I literally stand with behind the scenes that nobody really sees, not even Bill, my partner. I hide it from everybody. It's a place where I literally put all my hidden thoughts that I can't even talk about. When I literally go into my own little box and I literally am just somebody different. The one that literally goes to the toilet and sits there and cries about the things that I've got no control over. The one that I suppose has literally been, as Claire says, you know where you've got all them little chest of drawers in your head and you literally put it in a separate drawer for each item and you shut that drawer and sometimes you actually padlock it up. But at some point, there's always that part of you that has to go back to those chest of drawers and look to see if it's changed and whether or not you're strong enough at that time to deal with it. Tonight, I wasn't really sure on how I wanted to do with it. I wanted to literally... Um, I wanted to, I suppose, if you, if you like, it was a release show. It's a one to show people I am human. I'm not a very... I, I am a strong person because I can help other people, but that is still part of my inner child. That is still something that is literally with me because of what my parents have made me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and literally try and tell you about what the real Sue is about, what I've had to go through, and how I've got to where I am today, and literally today. I, oh, how can I put it? I'm a mum. I've got four children. I've got my partner, Bill. I am a sister to two brothers, and... My two brothers, I sort of speak to the one and don't speak to the other one. My mum and dad are still here, and I don't talk to them. My mum, when I was a kid, it was all about her. I literally, um, how can I put it? She, it was all about her. It was, everything was about my mum, you know? I tried to do my my best for my mum. You know, I tried to do the best. I was waiting for her to just to say, thanks, Sue, that's good, you know. I wanted her to make that bit of an effort, make that bit of time. You know, the days on the sports days, when you looked into the sports days of all the parents that were sitting there and not to see your mum, not to see your dad, not to see anybody at the finishing line, to go home and actually give people something, give my mum and dad something to be proud of and just be said, oh, yeah. And literally, that was it. No more said. To literally, I can remember being in this, um, an assembly and we actually had the assembly and I was not in the play, in, as in part of the play, but was in it, if you like. And I looked into the into the crowd of parents, and one time I saw my mum right at the very back of the room. 
and I mean the very back. I mean, there was no effort made, not like me, where I go literally to every single thing of my children. I literally do not let any of my things go past me with my children, you know, as in if it's a sports day or whatever. For instance, Emma was in a... Um, an assembly, which was so proud of her, and they've got like the end of school thing. She was, she's going up to the secondary year, this secondary school this time, and I had to be at every single one. I did not want Emma to feel that feeling that I felt on that day when I looked into the audience and didn't see my mum. I can remember a time when I went to give my mum a hug. And she was pushed. She pushed me off her. There is no feeling like that feeling that you feel when your mum pushes you off her. And the amount of times I've heard it, people say, "Oh, why don't you talk to your mum? You've only got one mum. My mum has only got one daughter. How many people have actually gone to my mum and said the same thing?" At the end of the day, I try to be the best mum that I can to my kids, and. Yeah, if I had more money, let's face it, I could take them to more places and everything else. And that's why I try to do as much as I can to make a better life for my children. But, you know, I've gone through that and I know what it's like to be the the child that doesn't get enough from the mum. I have literally got um, my, my dad. It's weird with my dad. I don't talk to my dad because that was his choice. He told me that I'd made my bed and I could lie in it, which I hate that saying. But if I had that phone call about my dad and to they to say that I eat had an accident or whatever, I can't say I wouldn't go. I still love my dad, but he he's already decided that if you like, I'm not a good enough daughter. At the end of the day, I know that I'm a good person, and but yet emails come through to me. Thanks very much for doing that show, this show, and everything else. And at the end of the day, I've always, and I still always try to do the best for people. I tried to do the best for my mum and dad, and it still wasn't enough. The reason I'm so close, I still feel that closeness with my dad, I think, is because of my nanny Davis. My nanny Davis was an angel here, but also an angel now in, in up looking over above me and always watching over me. And I'm always thinking every day, I hope that she's proud of me, of what I've achieved about my children. And I always wish to myself that there was a phone number you could ring just to have that little phone call. My nan was one of them that I can remember when I first got my first moped. And I literally got my moped. And let's face it, you're so excited, aren't you, when you get your first car or whatever. And... As soon as I got up in the morning when I got my insurance and I was able to legally go onto my moped, I went to my nan's. And I went in and she said, I see you. And I said, Gran, I've got my moped. And she said, have you? I said, yes, look, it's outside. She went, oh, that's brilliant. She said, where have you been? And I said, I've been to my, um, been nowhere. And she said, what do you mean? You've been nowhere. And I went, I just came straight here. Literally came straight from home to here. What, so you've been nowhere else? And I said, no, I've been nowhere. I've come straight to yours. And the next minute, she's got tears rolling down her face. And I literally said, 
but why, why are you crying? And she said, but you haven't been anywhere. She said, you haven't been anywhere at all. And I said, no. I said, because at the end of the day, I wanted to come and show you. You're the first person that I wanted to see. And it literally amazed her the fact that I wanted to make the effort to actually go to her. And she was like my mum. She was like my, she was my best friend. She was my soulmate. She was everything to me. She never judged anybody. She never, you know, she never knocked me. She only, she praised me, but also said it as it was. You know, and at the end of the day, that's what I miss. People say to me, you've only got one mum, you've only got one dad. And I say to people, I don't miss my mum and dad. I miss a mum and dad. And it's a different thing. I miss a family. I don't miss my family. And it's literally where I, you know, I, I'd like, I've always been a family person. And I'd love nothing more than on a Sunday to have my family come round and have a roast dinner and, you know, eat so much that you've that stuff your grand falls asleep on the sofa, you know, the one where they're snoring. And I remember that as a kid because my grand and granddad and my other grand used to always come round at Christmas Day. And that was the happy times, do you know what I mean? They were the real special times when there was so much love in my house, and that's what I miss. But then I've got four children who I will never push away from a hug. And I even remember having a fallout with my ex over the fact that I wasn't very well and I was lying on the sofa, and the kids came to give me a hug, and he told them to get off. I said, don't ever do that. And he looked at me, and he said, you what? I said, don't ever ever push my kids away from me from a hug. I don't care if I'm on my deathbed. You don't ever, ever push it. But at the end of the day, my nan made me realise, you know, that it, the world's such a horrible place at times. You've always got those ones that are trying to beat each other, you know, and let's face it, we've been looking at some of these dog laws, haven't we, and everything else, and some of the things that I've seen on them pictures just absolutely breaks my heart. But I look and I think of what I should be grateful for, that I have got my own little family now and stuff. But it still hurts. There's a lot about me that not many people know at all. Some things I've never told anybody. And I have, to a degree, turned to spiritualism, which doesn't mean I'm a, a God basher or anything like that. But it was a place where I could sort my head out and try to understand how life worked. I can remember asking somebody, why does my mum have to be like she is? Why does nothing happen to her? And somebody said to me that it was because she'd only been here a couple of times. She'd only been here a couple of times before in lives, where I've lived here quite a few over lives, do you know what I mean? And sort of made sense. I'd got more lessons. Trust me, I've had loads of lessons. I've had people say to me that they've been sexually abused and different things. And, you know, and I can totally understand that. I literally, and there's questions I still ask about this now, that this is me really opening my heart up here, guys, so bear with me here. I went to school one day. And on the way back home, we came up on a, on a school bus. 
and I literally came home on the school bus and got off and went home. And my brothers had left his pumps at home, uh, on the bus, sorry. So I got told by my mum I'd got to go and get them. And, you know, it had been a long day and I didn't really want to go. And she said, no, go and get them, go and get them. So I went. I ran up to the top of the lane and I waited for the bus because it used to go down the road and it turned around and it come back. It dropped some people off and come back straight past the lane again. And I stopped the bus and I got onto the bus and I went and got in, literally got in and I said, oh, I've forgotten, my brother's, my brother's forgotten his pumps, a stupid sod, you know what I mean? And I went onto the bus and got them, walked down the bus, got them, brought them back up. And as I went to get off the bus, the bus driver grabbed me. At this point, I didn't know what on earth to do. And I stood there while I froze, literally, with tears rolling down my face, Why this old, horrible, and I will say this swear word, bastard, touched me up and everything else to the point that I could not move and I was frozen. I had got tears rolling down my face. I couldn't speak and my whole body just literally froze and I could not move. So, I literally, at the end of the day, um, got off the bus and didn't know what to do. And I literally went home. I asked my mum, could I talk to her? And I told my mum what had happened. I actually told my mum what happened, and she did absolutely nothing. She did not report it to the bus company. She did not go and speak to the school. I still don't know. The one question that I never, well, I still don't know is, did she tell my dad? But not one person out of any of them stood up for me. And the other part of this is, I still had to get onto that bloody bus and see that bastard smile at me and look at me in a way that made me feel physically sick. My mum never did a thing. Never even stood up for me. Never went to the school. Never went to that bloody bus company. And every single day, I had to see that twat look at me in a way that just disgusts me. He used to... I used to watch him as a teacher got on the bus to make sure that everybody had got on the bus. And that twat used to even flirt, and if not, if I say that, it makes him feel sick, but flirt or even around the teachers. After just seeing what I've just seen on the chat, Karma, I think, must have got him because he was old then, and with any luck, he's gone to hell, and he could rot in it, and I hope the bastard stabbed the shit out of him. But at the end of the day, not one person stood up for me. And I can remember one day being in town and I was walking down the street. And I can't remember. I can't even remember how old it was. Some of it I think I've blocked out. But I can actually remember going down the road and this cheeky bastard was on the bus still and he waved at me from the bus. Now, let me tell you now, I think that if I'd have had a brick in my hand at that time, I would have smashed the shit out of him. But unfortunately, I wasn't prepared with a brick in my handbag, although most times I've got everything else in my handbag. But I looked at him, and 
I won't do a sinister and say all of my swear words, but you can pretty well imagine what my language barrier was. And, yes, I absolutely shouted in all the streets and told him what for and everything else while everybody in the street looked at me. But that actually made me feel better. But what still hurts the most is the fact that he did not care. I then got my mum and my dad did not care. And nobody gave... I felt at that time that nobody gave monkeys. And I couldn't tell my nan at that time because I didn't want to trouble her because she was older, do you know what I mean? And I didn't want to put that on her. I'm sure she's listening now, going to beat the shit out of me for not telling her because my granddad probably would have gone and killed him, but besides the point. But I literally think back, I think to myself, you know, what would have happened if anybody had done that to any of my girls? I can honestly say I would smack the shit out of him and probably wouldn't stop until I was in court the following day. But, you know, then, um, you know, I, I, I won't say that I ever got over it. I didn't get over it because I trapped it in myself, wondered if I'd done wrong because of the fact that nobody stood up for me. You know, I, I, I then wondered... Did I do wrong because my mum didn't do anything? Was Did she think that it was my fault? Did I encourage it? Blah, blah. And let's face it, that I know a lot of everybody else probably feels that same way when they've had that as well. But then I sort of got over that, you know, and still had my, you know, my off days and, you know, when you throw your temper at people and the closest get it, you know, sort of thing. And... Then another time, later on in my life, when I was about six, I think I was about nearly 17, I wasn't um, like half of these young girls now are just unbelievable, and I'm not knocking them, everybody to their own, but I wasn't one of these girls that, when I was younger, that was in bed with all different guys. And when I was 16, 17, well, nearly 17, I went and... Went out with my mates to the pub. I had a few down. He wasn't drunk, you know. I could quite handle my drink. I wasn't a big girl then either, actually. I would like to announce the fact that I was a size 12 then as well. And I went out with my mates, and uh, my one mate was going out with a, a lad, and he was friends with a very good friend of mine. And he, this, guy, this one lad was like a brother to me, do you know what I mean? We talked about everything, you know. He'd say, what's wrong with you today? And I'd say, oh, I'm on my wrong week. I feel so shit today. It's just unbearable. You guys don't know what you, you know, how easy your life is, do you know what I mean, and all that. Anyway, we went out this one night, and my mate Amanda wanted to stop at a boyfriend's, which is fine. And I said, oh, I'll get a taxi. And this so-called mate of mine said, oh, stay here if you want. I said, it was stupid, I'm not staying here. He said, oh, but you can stay with me. You know, nothing will will happen. And I just literally said, no, no, I'm not stopping now. I'll I'll go in the taxi, it's fine. You know, it's no trouble. It's only a tenner or whatever, it's fine. I'll I'll go in. And I literally said, um, I'll go home. And he said, no, no, come on, you can stay. My mate said, no, no, you can stay, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? It's not a problem, you can stay here, Um, we'll have a drink or whatever. My mate said, stay with us, it'll be fine, you know. So, anyway, he said, will you go and jump into bed? And he said, I'll wait for you. Uh, I'll go and make, a, make us all a drink. 
So he made me a drink. I had the drink and was having a laugh. My mate went in with her boyfriend and all was fine, as I thought. And I literally fell to sleep. And I woke up, I don't even know how many hours later or whatever, to find that I'd actually been raped. I'd been drugged in my drink and I had literally... didn't know what to do with myself. I never I didn't tell my friend. I got a taxi home and I didn't tell anybody for about a year. How the hell do you go and tell somebody that you've been raped with a guy that you actually got into bed with but you didn't do anything because he was your best mate? Let's face it, there's loads of people that have been raped out there that go to court, and at the end of the day, they don't even get recognised in court, and half the time, if it goes to court, they are literally ridiculed to the hell that they come out there and they think, John, I feel more raped now than I did before. And it's pretty damn gross. The, the, at the end of the day, this justice system, there is no fucking justice, is there? Why should victims have to go through all that and still be questioned. Let's face it, there's thousands, thousands and thousands of people in this same way that, you know, let's face it, won't have their guts to be able to stand up on a radio and say what they've got to say, and trust me, I'm pretty well shaking myself saying all this, but you know, I am just a real soon. And at the end of the day, I want people to realise that, you know, behind this Ask Sue, there is somebody who's natural, who's gone through the shit, you know, but still come out the other side. But there is days when I don't even know myself, even now. I mean, um, you know, it's been a damn hard time, to say the absolute least. And there's loads of people I talk to that have gone through exactly the same thing. And I'm quick to say to them, go to the police. Go and tell somebody. You know, don't let it eat you up like it has me. It's literally eats you up that much. You just don't know what to do next. Um, you know, I have people telling me their stories and stuff, and all I say to you is either write it in a book or say it out loud or whatever it may be. I'm going to carry on with my story just a little bit longer because there's a few more people that I would like a few more things that I want to tell you about, but anybody who's listening to the show, if you want to call into the show and tell your story to empty out your, I'll say stomach, because it's not your heart. You hold these feelings in your stomach that make your stomach churn when you think about it. But that was bad enough in my life, to be fair, and with no support at all for a whole year, and I eventually told a friend and I broke down and everything else. Um, also had it with, with ex-partners where I, there were certain things I couldn't say or couldn't do, some that wanted me to say stuff and I couldn't, couldn't say them sort of things, it was far too rude, I couldn't deal with that at all, and, you know, I just think to myself, you know, I, I was looking in the sense of, let's face it, I was okay after mentally and physically, physically I was fine. Mentally, I was pretty well 
pissed off. I was felt guilty about myself and felt that I shouldn't have stayed there. You know, what on earth was I playing at? Um, but then at the end of the day, I felt like... I felt like... Um, I sort of left myself down, but then he was like a brother to me, so why would I question? Never thinking for a million years that he would do such a thing. Um, but then anyway, I got... I wouldn't say got over that, because you never get over it, but then I um, met a New Zealand guy, and I went to New Zealand. I lived in New Zealand for a year, which I absolutely loved it over there. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. And I stayed over there for a year, and believe it or not, I actually came back because... I was homesick and because I missed my family, which is a bit mental really now, isn't it? When you think that I don't even speak to my mum and dad, but I actually missed my family. But I did miss him to my nan. I miss my nan and granddad. My nan and granddad were my soulmates and I, I love them and I miss them so damn much. You know, there's days when I just want to talk to them, you know, just tell them that like shit at the minute. And I just want to tell them how much that I miss them. And that I love them. And there's people out there that are really trying to help me, but I have to deal with this myself. And there's days when I don't want to get up out of bed. But I have to because of my kids. Just when you think that, you know, that couldn't get any worse in my life, I then, in 1996, um, I left, I came back from New Zealand, and I met a, um, my eldest daughter's dad, and I had Kimberly in 95, and then in 96, yes, it was a quick one, in 19, <laughs> and then I go and read um, our Claire's message on the chat, <laughs> and she just made me feel like I want to cry even more. In 1996, I got um, pregnant, um, and I was chuffed a bit to the fact that I'd was expecting, you know, I was, it was quite happy, you know, the relationship was actually all okay to a degree, and uh, we'd already got Kimberly, and I, I went for my scans, but as I got pregnant, then I was started to get controlled. I'd got him where he was telling me that I couldn't drive because I was pregnant, he wouldn't give me any money to be able to go out with, so I was stuck in the house all the time. Um, loads of things. I was helping my friend at a local pub, and I literally used to work behind the bar, and you can imagine me behind the bar. I absolutely loved it. Surrounded in spirits, but now I am in a different way. And I had a laugh with the lads, and, you know. And I can remember one day I was in the car park, and I saw the partner at the time um, arrived back home and I hid behind a trailer and my mates who had the pub heard brother came out and he said what on earth are you doing and I went shh and he looked across and he saw that he was there and anyway he went inside and my mate's brother said stand up now 
And he said, what on earth are you doing? I said, I don't want him to see him here, me here because otherwise he'll be over here and he'll want me to go back and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I got a mega time off for that, you know. Anyway, I went for my scans and everything was fine. And on the 16th of December, I had a little girl. She was beautiful. She was £9.1 in weight. All same time, you know, I wouldn't say perfect delivery, no perfect delivery, but believe this or not, I, it was all under, I had all my children in all under three and a half hours. And yes, I've had the uh, joke of, um, let's just say how big a region may be, because I've had them all under three and a half hours and all them jokes, yeah, I've been there, done that before you all start. But I literally had my little girl and she was nine pound one and she was beautiful, you know. Uh, her temperature was a bit low, but she was okay, you know, and they put her in an incubator, and she was fine, you know, and I'm one of these, I hate the hospitals, I'm a home girl, I like to be at home, and I literally was ready to, um, was literally ready to go home, so I said to the nurse, can I go home now, and she said, oh, no, no, you'll have to stop in overnight, so I stopped in overnight, she said, you know, we need to get her temp temperature stabilised, so I said, right, yeah, that's fine, you know, we'll, we'll do that. You know, if I must stop in, yes, I will, or, and all that. So I stayed in hospital till the next day, and the temperature had sort of stabilized to a degree. And the doctor came round, and I said, oh, doctor, please let me go home. And I said, I really want to go home. And he said, is the temperature stabilized? And I said, yeah, I said, um, that's fine. I said, um, I'll, I'll, you know, yeah, it seems she seems happy enough. Um, and everything, and you know, the temperature stabilized, and I wanted to go home, blah blah blah. And he said, I'll do a quick check over of her, and yep, you can go home. So he checked, he said, Yep, it seems fine. He said, I'm looking at the temperature, yep, that's fine, uh, you can go home. So obviously, he walked out the room and walked out the wall, I should say, and there's me going, Yes, and go home, and oh, we must ring your dad up and tell him that you're coming home, and oh, you know, absolute buzzing. Anyway, all of a sudden, I got her out, ready to change in, you know, into that bright pink thing, you know, that all us mums want to do. And we literally got her there all nicely ready and everything else. And I knew that Simon was coming in. And next minute she started to cry. So I thought, oh, perhaps she needs a feed. So I tried to feed her and I was breastfeeding her at the time. I was going to start breastfeeding her and try that. She didn't want to, have a, didn't want to feed off me or anything. So I thought, oh, perhaps she needs changing. And I took off her grow and pulled it down the legs. And as I pulled it down the legs, um, her legs had gone totally purple. I mean, purple, proper purple. And I just screamed my head off, shouted to the nurse, and she came running across. And she literally picked her, picked her up and said she's got to go to special care now. So I literally took her off. And they took her into special care, and Simon came, and it was a bit mad, really, looking at a special in special care baby unit, and there is this big baby, nine pound one, and you've got other ones that are under two pound in weight. Well, I wasn't very well. I'd already got a temperature of a, of apparently a hundred, and I got a fever, and I wasn't well, and I, I wasn't good at all. They were giving me tablets to sort myself out because I got this big temperature that they needed to get down. 
and I literally needed to sort myself out. But I also had got Kimberly, who was a year old, and Simon had brought Kimberly in. And so I was being as usual mum. So I was sat in this family room with my daughter. They'd given me my own room. And I was sitting in there and, um, you know, playing about with Kimberly. And now and again, I'd go and see Kaylin as if I could. And, you know, and I'd pop in there. Now Simon's mum came along and she was sitting with her all the time. But I was looking after Kimberly in the, in the room. And I literally... You know, I, I did, I'll be honest, I didn't think, that, you know, I thought it should be fine and everything else, and I was trying to get myself better. I was also thinking, as usual, thinking of all the other um, little babies in there that were two pounds in weight. You know, I didn't want to go in there with this feeling of feeling very poorly and for them to get this. You know, so I literally kept going in and checking out and Dr. Cher, we're doing all we can. We think there's something wrong with her heart. Um, and we're doing tests and everything else, and I went into her, and literally she got pipes from her, you know, and they would got the machines on her and everything else, and I didn't want to bother them too much, because let's face it, I wanted them to more bother with her. I didn't want them to be updating me every two minutes. I wanted them to do to do what they could for her, you know. And I can remember taking Kimberly in, and Kimberly um, at first didn't want to know. When we first, she was first born, didn't want to know at all. Um, but it's funny on this occasion when I brought her, one occasion when I brought her in there, she literally held her hand and just didn't say anything. Kimmy was one year old and just literally held her hand. It was just, I, I can't describe it now, I describe it as a connection. It was weird. Anyway, I went back to the family room. Um, oh no, and I'd had a sleep, that's right, me and Kimmy had a sleep. And we were woken up by Simon, who said, oh, you need to come up. Um, Kaylin's took a bit of a turn for the worse. She seems to be a bit, a bit down. Um, and they told me to get you to come up. I said, well, I've just got to sort Kimberly out. I've just got to change her and everything. And then I'll be up with you shortly. And he said, yeah, all right then. So he went back off. Now, at this stage, his mum was still there. Let me just make him think that she'd actually not even moved from, from Kaylin's side. But I'd had to look after Kimberly in the family room. So I got, I was getting Kimberly ready. I'd pretty well got myself ready, you know, even though I was in my grandma night and everything else. And I got myself ready and I got Kimberly changed and everything got her looking beautiful as she always does. And I took her up to, I was just about to take her. I'd literally got her bottle made up and just in case she started. So I was just about to go out the door and the nurse came in. She went, Sue, come on. And I said, what's the matter? And she went, did he not tell you to come up to the, um, to the special care baby unit. And I said, yeah, but I said, you know, it, she, he just said she took a bit of a turn for the worse, and, you know, I've got to get Kimberly ready and everything. I said, no, you need to come now. So I said, right, okay. So I went up there, you know, and I didn't know what to expect, really, and I walked in. Simon's stood there looking a bit, well, I don't know what you describe it, but anyway, and his mum's sitting on the other side, um, on the chair, sitting there all comfortable and, and looking at Kaylin. And I just like looked at them and I went up and said, Are you all right, Kaylin? Come on, girl, you can be strong. Come on, girl, you can fight this, you know. Let's be thing. And I said, Kimberly, come on, you can, um, you know, you can be there. So she said, right. Um, then the next minute I looked behind me and um, 
the doctor came up behind me and he said, oh, Sue, have they, have they spoken to you? And I said, what? Who's spoken to me? He said, have they told you what we're going to have to do? I said, no, they haven't said anything to me. Why? What, what's, what's going on? And he then told me that I had to... I had to turn my little girl's machine off. They had tried everything they could to save her, and they had to turn the machine off. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was looking at this nine-pound one little girl who looked stronger than any others in the whole of the um, ward, and they were telling me, that I had to turn the machine off. His mum hadn't come from there and took him off me so I could spend a bit of time with my girl. Simon didn't cuddle me at any time to help me through what I was going through, and I'd still got my Kimberly in my arms, wrapped around my neck, giving me hugs like nobody ever could. And I literally stood there and looked, and I said... It's been nothing. It's all you can do. Anything. And he said, Sue, he said, there's more going on here. He said, and we can't fix it. The machine is actually keeping her alive, and there is nothing that we can do. So I literally said to him, I said, could I please just have one minute? And he stayed. I said to the doctor, he could stay. I said, please, could you just have, I have one minute? He said, certainly. And still nobody else moved away, so I'll just have a bit of time with her. And I said my goodbyes. I told her that I loved her. And Kimberly again held her hand. They turned off the machine. And I didn't stay in there very long. I'll be honest, I couldn't stay in there very long. I will come out of there, took Kimberly, and we went to the family room. And the funny part is, the only person that I wanted at that time was my dad. Um, he was my dad, and I wanted, and that was all I wanted was my dad. And I rang them up and I said, Dad, Mum, please can you come up straight away. And they did, to be fair. I mean, as much as they were absolute assholes to me, you know, they did come straight up. And I just needed my dad's hug. And... I just needed my dad there, and they, before my dad actually came, actually, they brought Kaylin to me, even though she'd passed, and the girl said to me, the nurse, she came to me and she said, would you like me to get a dress for you in the clothes, so she got a dress in these clothes that I'd put for her, and uh, brought her so that I could hold her. And she was still warm, and I could still hold my little girl. And I'd still got Kimberly with me as well, and she was... 
amazing. You know, she knew, even though she was one, she actually knew. And I held it, said my goodbyes and everything, and then they took her away. The nurse was amazing. (laughs) She said to me, she said, don't worry, she said, I'll look after her, and I'll take some photos of her. And she said, I'm not being morbid, but you haven't got many photos, so I'll take some photos of her. And she did. She took some beautiful photos of her in a cot, sitting with her teddy bears, as if as if she was still here. My dad came. The thing is, I can't even remember what my mum said. But I can remember my dad saying to me, Sue, I don't know what to say to you. Um, I must say she was born on the 16th of December and she died on the 18th of December. And my dad said to me, Sue, I don't know what to say to you. How, you know, what shall I say or or everything? And I said, there isn't a lot really you can say. He said, well, scream at me. He said, do, do what you've got to do. Do whatever you've got to do. You know, scream at me, shout at me. Anything you've got to do, just do. Sorry, I've just got children going through the room now. And I said... That my dad said to me, he said, Sue, I don't know what you're feeling, and try and explain to me. And I said, it's really hard, because I don't know how to explain to you. And he he said to me, um, say something. So I did. And he said to me, okay, and I said, right. I said, I've been waiting for Father Christmas for all of this time. I've been waiting for nine months for Father Christmas to arrive with my baby. And I said, Dad, he's come with an empty sack. It's all right. All right. And my dad said to me, he said, if there was any way I could place that sack for you, I would. And I really wanted somebody to save me right then. But it was just one of them things that nobody could actually mend. And so then it was funny because uh, my dad and mum went home and then the hospital says, the hospital said to me, would oh, you want to stay in because you're not very well yourself? And I said, no, I need to go home. I need to be with my other daughter and I want to go home. And they sent, and I went home. And then I had to get home to be confronted by a very over-decorated Christmas tree that Kimberly and me had done. And I mean, when I say over-decorated, I mean literally you couldn't see the tree for tinsel. To then open cards that were Christmas cards, congratulation cards, and sympathy cards, all in one. And and it was just like pff, hard to uh, I couldn't get to grips with it. It's like I sort of deleted that part in my life already. Do you know what I mean? And everything. 
and then I sort of had to sort of re- realise in my head that I've got Kimberly and I've got to keep myself together because of Kimberly. Two days, well, a day, two days later, the vicar came round. And I, you know me, you guys, blacks, blacks, whites, white. And I actually said to them, I actually said to him, you can come into my house, but on one condition. He said, yes, certainly, what's the matter? And he's, I said, you can come in. Don't mention God, because if there was one, he wouldn't have took my girl from me. And there's certain things that I want. He said, yep, that's fine. So he came in, and I said, right, first things first, I want it before, it before Christmas. I said, I don't care what you say about how busy you are or whatever. It's got to be before Christmas for my daughter, because Christmas has got to be for Kimberly. So he said, I don't know if I can do that because I said, I don't care what you have to say. I'm going to ring this hospital after I spoke to you. And I, they will be releasing my daughter before then because I will make them. And I want it before Christmas. But I tell you what, I literally managed to get it so it was before Christmas. And I, so she was born on the 16th. She died on the 18th. And I buried her on the 23rd of December. For certain parts that day that I can't remember, I think after it was blocked out because I was surrounded by my now ex-partner's um, family, who I didn't get on with, I wasn't good enough for their son. I remember going to the church and holding on to Kimberly like there was no tomorrow, how I didn't suffocate her. She wore a black hat all the way through the funeral to Kimberley, and as soon as she got out of that church, she chucked it, and didn't like wearing hats all through childhood after that. And then we came out of the church, and she's got this beautiful little pink and white um, coffin, and the funeral directors were just fantastic. They were a family friend, and they were fantastic. We went to the side of the graveyard, into the graveyard, and got to, obviously, where they were going to put Kaylin. And my mum and dad were behind me, and I was all in Kimberley. And I looked over the grave to look at my now ex on the other side, cuddling his mum. I was ripped apart by the fact that he wasn't with me. He was actually, again, with his mum. With his mum that's actually there, she didn't like me anyway, do you know what I mean? There was no hiding that, and it it got to the stage where I felt the same about her. And we literally obviously did the burial, then we went back home, and and that was sort of that for that day. We then had Christmas Day. Got up on Christmas morning, said my little Sue rant, and said, this is not, Although I'm not going to forget about, um, I'm not going to ever forget about Kaylin, but today is Kimberly's day. So we decided to pick up, oh, and also the, um, we'd actually buried with Kaylin two teddy bears, one little teddy bear, the, um, a little tiny little one, and then we also like a lamb teddy bear that I'd not seen before. So we decided that we weren't going to talk about Kaylin today. It was actually going to be Kimberly's day. No, 
Kaylin didn't actually want that, and nor did the spirits, because she opened up her first present off my cousin, and that teddy bear was exactly the same as the one that was buried with Kaylin. Exactly. No, no different colours, no nothing. It was exactly the same. And I just burst into floods and tears and said, no, Kaylin, we'll never forget you, and it's your Christmas too. And I've never seen a teddy bear like that since. And I felt like Kaylin was around us all that day. Do you know what I mean? It was quite amazing. The I can remember the New Year where I sat and watched um, babies being born, you know, for the New Year's thing. And, you know, that was pretty damn hard, but it was something I had to deal with because around the same time as I lost Kaylin, a friend of ours actually um, had a baby as well. We went to their house, which was the ex-partner's idea, let's go. And he, we went in and they showed us baby, which is fine, you know, I, I had not a problem with that. They were celebrating their baby and it was fine. And I could see that they were uncomfortable by the fact that I was there, but this was just him being him, do you know what I mean? And he went and held the baby, my ex went and held the baby and then looked at me and said, do you want to hold? <laughs> that just tipped me over the edge. No, I don't want to hold of anybody else's baby. I wanted to actually hold my baby. I didn't want to hold anybody else's. So I also dealt with that too. Then they asked Sue then came out of me and I decided to, would you believe this? <laughs> a fundraiser I wanted to then help all of those other little babies I wanted to give the support to the people in that special care baby unit because the part that I have missed out this story is when that Kaylin was actually in that hospital they couldn't transport her to um, Birmingham Children's Hospital because the incubator that they needed to send was missing a part that was probably the size of my thumb and it was going to cost £2,000, and they hadn't got that part. So they couldn't send Kaylin up there. Now, in hindsight, I'm glad they didn't, because she probably would have died on the way to Birmingham. So I decided to take it upon myself to go to a guy that lived in the village where we were, and I said to him, I want to do a fundraiser. He said, I beg your pardon. He said, you've just lost it. And when I said, yeah, I, I want to do a fundraiser. So what do you want to do? I said, I want to do a barn dance. I want a marquee. I want straw all in it. And I want to invite everybody. I want everybody to spend their money. I want it to be fun. And I want it to be a celebration of Kaylin's life. I did this in March. And I did a barn dance in memory of Kaylin. And I act, it was actually in the papers as well, where I did my story about it. And it said on the front page, for the love of Kaylin. Between losing Kaylin and doing this barn dance, I had also decided that I wanted to 
changed my life. I decided that life was too short. I decided that I was not going to have no more mental abuse from my kid's dad. And in February of that of 1997, I left him. Everybody said to me it was um, it was because I was depressed. Everybody said it was because I'd lost the baby, etc. I'll tell you what it was. It made me realize that life was too short and I wasn't going to be taking that shit no more, that I was worth more than that. And she made me realize that at the end of the day, life's just too short. She made me realize that I had now got my own personal angel. Not everybody is strong enough. I I would say fortunate, but that's not the right word. But everybody's strong enough to have their own personal angel. I went and raised just under 2,000. We also did a bingo as well. And raised money and all of that, you know. Um, We did the bingo and all together I raised just over 2,000 pounds. And because the person that helped me do the barn dance had collected the money for me, he went and gave the money to my ex, you know, the kid's dad, and he went and took it in, so the receipt went to him. God, that just so pissed me off. I'd done all that work, and he got the receipt. You know, it really did my head in. I got a copy of the receipt anyway. So when when Kaylin, obviously when Kaylin died, I got all these photos and everything else, and I made an album up. And I put pictures in of Kaylin. I put the congratulations cards. I put the sympathy cards. I put the notes in there. We got given a five-pound note from friends of ours, and I put that in there because it was Kaylin, so, and it's still in there to this day. Um, I put all the cards, all the pictures of, you know, like black and white pictures of when she, after she died. They were all in there. And I said to Simon, I said, I don't want to ever separate this book. And I said that I want to keep this book together. It's Kaylin's book. Anyway, one day he said to me, could I borrow it soon? I said, yeah, of course you can. You know, it's fine. You know, it was our book. It was Kaylin's book. And I let him have it. And two weeks later, I said, oh, can I have the book back, please? I feel the need that I need to look at it. He said, yeah, of course. And he gave it to me. And... I didn't look at it straight away. I think it was the next day. I sat on the sofa. My dad was in the other chair and opened a couple of pages. And then I opened the next page. And I'm going to say bastard had gone and taken some of the things out of my girl's book to keep for himself. Some of those cards were from his family and he'd bloody well taken them out of her book. I'll say stolen because they weren't his. They were for Kaylin's book. And I just felt like I'd lost it all over again. And my dad said, Sue, what's the matter? And I couldn't control myself. I said, I'm going to kill him. I said, he took, took her books. He, he took her, um, her cards. He took her things. And dad said, you are. And I was just absolutely mortified that he, t- he took some of her things. And I have never ever 
move them things in a in a book to make it look like it was fine. I've left it exactly as it was. I've still left the little slips because I put who they were from. And I've also told Kimley exactly what he has done. Um, it made me stronger. It made me appreciate things more. And it made me appreciate my kids even more. Um, I'm now lucky the fact that I have got my own little angel who watches above me all of the time, who literally is my absolute, you know, she's my world up there. And I know that my nan is with her and she's looking after her all of the time. And let's face it, my gran needed a grandchild to be with her up there because my nan loves her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren very much. And I think to myself, Kaylin's quite lucky, actually, that she's got my gran because I'd love my gran, too. So they've got each other. And she's got my granddad and my other gran and granddad as well. Do you know what I mean? And my other family members. But that's part of my spiritualism coming out, that I believe that they're all together and there is life after death. There's times when I felt around me, and there's times when it's made me stronger. And let's face it, there's been times when it's made me feel quite weak. And, and I've had a day like that today. So that's part of my story so far. Um, I'm obviously going to have to have a quick cup of tea because my throat's feeling quite dry at the minute. So... I want to just mention to the fact that I'm reading some of your messages and I want to say thank you to everybody who's putting his message on there. But I want to say to those that have messaged me saying that they're like shit at the moment because something didn't quite go right. All the things that, you know, they're a bit stronger because something's happened to you. But let me say to every single one of you, whatever you get for, go through, whatever is chucked at you, it does make you stronger eventually. And I am determined to fight this. I've had a hell of a day today, and I really didn't want to do. To, I didn't want to do a show tonight. And Tanif got in touch with me, and she's having a bit of a shit time of it at the minute. And I want to send a big, massive hug to her because she's really is feeling it. But. I spoke to Claire, and Claire said to me, she said, do you want to do it so you do it about a friend? And I went, nope, I want to do what's black's black's white's white. That's what Ask Sue's all about, and this is what Sue's all about. And I just um, I just said to her that I wanted... The Ask Sue show has always been good because I've always said as it is. I've always had that personal touch. And when I say to people, I understand. Trust me, I really do understand. Okay? But let me just also say that I hate it when I get that myself and Claire and Steve have had people tell us stories who've tried to make that their, not make out that their life is so bloody terrible well, you know, I'm not being funny, but you've absolutely drained us dry. 
there is people so much worse off than you. You've got a family that surrounds you, and as much as you tell us they don't care, they actually do. For those that say that they think their life's terrible because at this moment in time something little has gone wrong, welcome to the real world. Life is not easy. But t let me tell you now, it can go more shit than you ever believe. Now, I've just read somewhere um, to the lady that's um, lost two babies, um, Jen. Let me just firstly, Jen, let me just say, um, I think I've just read it right that you lost these little babies before um, time. Um People say to me, um, you know, different stories that they've lost their children and everything. And do you know what, Jen? I actually think you're amazing too. I think at the end of the day, okay, you, you still gave birth. Okay, Jen, but some people have miscarriages that don't get chance to hold their babies. Jesus, that must be hard. I managed to hold my little girl, and I've got photos of her. But then I also think of these people, like I've got a good mate who I've met off the Asu show, and she's um, called Sherry Ann Rose, and she lost her son due to the fact that he committed suicide. How the shit does she deal with that? You know, just I think he was about 30, and he, you know, and she lost her son at 30. She's had 30 years of him. And he went, how the bloody hell do they deal with that? I had Caelan for two days. And, you know, and I sometimes wonder how I got through that. But, you know, I did. But there's still people that's worse than, than ourselves, even me. I just want to say to everybody um, a little poem before I just go to a song so I can have a little bit of a drink. But I just want to say, um, firstly to Steve, you're going to make me cry, and I love you too. Um, and thank you to Bill for your messages on here too. Thank you to Claire. Um, but I just want to say a poem out to all of you that I got put into my autograph book, which obviously was only yesterday because it was at school. <laughs> and it was from a headmaster, and he said, he put in my autograph book, if everybody was to put their problems and all of their problems into a heap and equally share them out, they would only be too glad to take back their own. And that is too damn true. So I'm going to leave you with a little bit of music and I will be shortly, in probably about 10 minutes, quarter of an hour, be taking some phone calls in. I just want to say to people that if you are in a, I'm going to say in a bad way and you don't think you can deal with calling into the show, please call this number. I'm just about to put a link on. And this is to Samaritans where people will talk to you, they will not judge you, and they will listen to you. Um, you know, if anybody needs any help or support... Please, please think. But at the end of the day, I've been through this, so if anybody wants to call in, by all means, they can, you know, call into the show. So if you want to call in, 347-327-9694, or 
or you can call in from the UK on 001-347-327-9694. So I am going to have um, a bit of a tune, and then I'm going to come back to say a bit more about me, and then I will open up the phone lines to for you to call in and come and have a natter. So um, I'm just looking at my music, and I am wondering what on earth I can actually play. Um, because obviously I want something a bit thing, and I, I, I'll, I must be honest, I've just looked at Sinister, and I don't really think Sinister could even thing tonight. So I am going to have a song that reminds me, funnily enough, of my dad, who absolutely loved this song, and always says to me he can't believe she only did one song with such a strong voice. So I'll leave this with you, and um, I'll be back shortly. Love from the real Sue. The whispers in the morning Of lovers sleeping tight All rolling by like thunder now As I look in your eyes I hold on to your
Hi, and welcome back to the Ask Sue Show. I apologise to all of you in the chat room who've uh, got your tissues out and everything else, but I just felt like I wanted to give you a bit of the real suit, you know, the one that's uh, maybe not quite so strong but is getting stronger, do you know what I mean? Just at the end of the day, I've had depression on and off quite a long time, and nobody understands depression unless you've actually had it, unless you've actually been there. You know, on the days that you don't open the curtains, on the days that you don't feel like eating, on the days that you smile to everybody. You know that famous saying, how are you doing? You all right? And what do we say? Yeah, fine, thanks, and you? And really, you're screaming at the top of your voice, no, actually, I feel absolutely shit. I am sick to death of this crap. Just get me out of this place, because I really have had enough. You know, there's times when I can smile at everybody. And there's times that at the drop of a hat, I can literally just break down into a mess. A lot of the times I'm hiding behind this laptop and literally saying to everybody, you know, it's, it's all right, ask who will help you. Um, and I think it sort of brought it all to a head to the fact that I literally, you know, we, we've been doing... I mean, Steve and Claire have been absolutely brilliant. They've helped me with, the, obviously, all three of us have been working our backsides off doing 15, 16 hours a day doing the Worldwide Canine Crusade. And, you know, we, we have inboxes every single day saying, oh, we're doing a brilliant job and everything else. I mean, and I've got, goodness, a thousand plus on my Asu show wall. And we say to people, could you just, like, join the Worldwide Canine Crusade or... Can you just donate a fiver? We didn't have very many um, donations to the start, but there's a lot of things that we're actually doing in the background that we can't even tell anybody. Not even on an Asu show, I can't blubber and tell you what it is all about. But let me just tell you, it's something absolutely amazing, and you guys are going to be so proud of this. I tell you what, it's going to make a massive change. But everybody wants something. But nobody wants to actually do anything about it. Everybody says they want to end BSL. All I say to that is that they tried for 20 years to end BSL and it didn't do no good. But we want to amend it. But what I want to point across is everybody wants myself and Steve and Claire to give you an update every day and to help to do this. And all of you are saying how much you um, appreciate what we're doing. But... I want to say to people that us three um, and the others that are working hard with us are ordinary people. We've all got families. We've all got our own problems, as you now know. We've all um, got businesses that we're trying to start up or we've got jobs or whatever. But you know what? We need your help. I, I can't do this or fight this or anything all on my own, and neither can Stephen, nor can Claire, or any of us. And we need all of you. And with the Ask Sue Show, I need every single one of you to make this work and to make my voice heard. I need you to share the links. 
I need things to make a difference. I do not do these shows off the niceness of my head. And I, I tell you what, if you knew some of the emails that I'd got with some right shit, oh, that I'm doing this for ego. Does this sound like an ego? The only ego part I will have is when I am stood in front of a biggest march ever in London with Steve and Claire and all the other guys that have been helping and you lot. And I want to be stood right at the front with Steve and Claire and everybody. And I want to say, we did it. And I tell you what, that's when I'll have an ego. That's when I'll be proud. That's when I'll have a massive smile on my face, grinning from ear to ear, shouting, we have done it. And do you know what? I don't care. Do you know what? I even had people email Sinister to say, don't bother to deal with her. She knows nothing about BSL laws, and it's all to do with ego. I just like to say in sinister terms, he went and told them to go and fuck right off. <laughs> Sorry for my language, but I was saying as it is, blacks, blacks, white, whites on this show tonight. And do you know what? Somebody actually stood up for me and said, do you know what, you cheeky bitch. And three of them did it. And he sent the name of one person that actually did it. And do you know what? I don't know her. She's never spoke to me. And she's not even um, a friend of mine. On, on on my Facebook, she's not even, no, never even, doesn't even know me. And I just think, you pathetic, childish, jealous, evil people. So because I've got a voice and I'm willing to use it, with or without a microphone, I tell you what, how many people actually had the guts to go on a show and literally said, enough of these BSL laws, they need to be changed. I tell you what, I don't give a monkeys, whatever. We even had trolls that came from another show that was sent from another show to try and piss us off on the Asu show. Did it piss us off? Or for all of about, oh, I don't know, five seconds. And then we literally said, enough's enough. You know? Um, I just think that they were all very pathetic i think they all need to grow up and at the end of the day i think we all need to be in one place and say right you know what amend bsl because enough's enough so going off that is what i'm trying to say is i've got four children beautiful beautiful children and they are my world and they are everything to me and i try my absolute best um sometimes i feel like i let them down Sometimes I feel like I give them too much. Sometimes I feel like I should tell them a bit more. Sometimes I should tell them, think I should not tell them enough. You know, I don't know. But we can only try our best as far as being a mum. But at the end of the day, I am just a real ask soon. I, I, I am the, this is the real thing. You know, you, you're not going to get more open than this. This is what it's all about. And... There's been other things that have happened in my life, and maybe we'll have another show for that. Do you know what I mean? But let me just say to those that have inboxed me saying what a, a terrible time it is and stuff, and trust me, it is. But you know what? I am going to get there. And I want to help others that have been through the same thing as me. And, um, you know, and I want to say to people that it's okay to cry, you know? Um, but that still does not um, give anybody the right 
to go around saying things to other people that they don't even know to upset them even more because we've all got our own problems enough, every single person. So I just want to say that, you know, I have made some absolutely brilliant friends on the ASU show. And I need to say, firstly, thank you very much to Claire, who had my rant this afternoon. I want to say thank you very much to Steve. I want to say thank you very much to Bill, who's had me ranting today. But I needed to... this. I need to start doing things for myself. I need to mend myself. I need to say enough's enough. I'm not taking any more crap anymore. You know, I don't need to be loaded with even more. Do you know what I mean? I need to start making a life for myself. I need to start saying, you know, this isn't good enough. And I've started to realize I have let myself down. I've let myself go. I've not done enough for myself. I need to change the way I'm thinking. And to some people, that's going to upset people because I'm not going to take no more crap anymore. I've had enough of it. You know, and I've had friends that have come into my life and that have shit on me, and I've pushed them back off again. So at the end of the day, I want you to understand, you know, if I'm not on Facebook or whatever, there is a reason for that, you know? And... I will get there. I mean, at the end of the day, Caelan would will be uh, 16 this year, and that's 16 years ago, and it's still hard. Um, but it w- I will get right. But there's some things that I need to do on my own, and this is part of it. I need to work out where I'm going, and I need to know what what I want to do next. And Sometimes I do just need the time on myself. You know, there's times when I felt so tired recently. Like, we've had three weeks of absolute rushed hell, to say the least. And I just need to look after myself for a while, too. So, you don't need to worry, because the Ask Sue show is not going to go anywhere. The Ask Sue show is going to get stronger. And I want to start doing stronger shows. And I want to also say that we are going to be doing a a lot more, let's just say. I want to let you know that we are going to be doing our own 24-hour radio show. It's going to... Well, I don't mean I'm going to be on for 24 hours before you think, oh, my God, she's not going to think. Um, no, it's actually going to be where you can do your own shows. So it may be that you do... I don't know, we were laughing about this, like, i.e. Uh, doing a gardening show, or it may be about, I don't know, a romantic show, or it might be music, or something else, do you know what I mean? So it might be that, you know, Asu could do maybe a depression show, so people could ring in and talk about their thoughts, or maybe you could, we could do Asu phone-in where you talk and just tell us our ideas, and maybe I can suggest some ways to help you. It's quite funny, I'm willing to help everybody else, but as soon as I put that mirror in front of me, I can't help myself. You know what I mean? So, you know, if anybody wants to have their own show, and, and let me just say something, there's only Ask Sue that can do a rant like nobody else, so obviously we can't have too many rant shows, but you know, if you want to um, get a show with us, by all means, give us an email on Show at gmail.com if you want to show. We are going to be selling um, parts of these shows off 
and you can have one hour, two hours, three hours. Maybe you want to get um, bands in or whatever. I don't know, whatever you want to do. Um, but, you know, give us an email. That's sueshow at gmail.com. Um, but, you know, this is where I want to help loads of people, and maybe you can help me too. At the end of the day, at this moment in time, I am doing all these shows and everything else, and I think that, you know, I, I want to start making money. And this doesn't is going to sound a bit selfish, but it's a moment in time I have worked hours and hours and hours and hours and got nothing back. Yeah, I've got the emails and I've got all that, but that, that that's not going to pay my bills and everything else. And I've got to think about my four children too. So I need to start doing things. So I need to, like, sell advertising for my shows and all sorts. So if anybody's got any ideas, please just give me an email. So it's asksueshow at gmail.com, and uh, we shall see um, what's going on. Um, right, I'm going to go to the phone lines, and obviously I've got to hold my own ear, so I'm going to um, try and keep calm and collected and everything else. And uh, let me just say to anybody that's going to call in, if you feel like you cannot deal with it, please just go and call this number. There's uh, this link, and there's numbers, there's emails, and everything else. So if you're having a hard time of it at the moment, and you've got nobody to talk to, and you want to do a release valve, um, go and go on to uh, Samaritans.org, talk to someone, slash phone calls, dot ASPX. Um, go and have a word of them. Or the other thing I can advise is going for counselling. It does help just to release. I can actually feel, even at this minute, that I can actually feel like I can breathe a bit more than I did before. So um, if anybody wants to call in, you can call in from America on 347-327-9694 or from the UK on 001-347-327-9694. And also you can email me, asksueshow at gmail.com. I think I've got my... uh, First angel on the line, and I think it's Claire. Hi, Claire. How are you doing? I think she's there. Hello. Nope, maybe it's not. Nope, that one's gone. Okay, maybe it wasn't Claire. We'll just have to see. Hold on, let me just sort that one out. Um, okay, let's go to the next one. You know what my these phone lines are like? I always have fun. Hi, is that Lena? Yes, it is. Hi, darling. How are you doing? I'm okay. Um, I'm not my cheery self at the moment because um, I've been feeling a bit poorly myself as well, exactly um, what was going on with you earlier. And I just like laying in bed and watching Big Brother and I thought, you know what, let me just listen in to the Ask Show, Ask Who. And I didn't realise you actually had a show today. I thought it was the um, the reading, so... Anyway, I just thought, let me listen in, and uh, I realised the topic was about depression and about yourself, and I listened to you talk, and I just want to say, you touched me, really. Um, You've been through a lot, sweetie. I was in tears just listening to you, but I can totally um, relate to you. Um, I also went through a lot of um, issues in my childhood, and... um, I just want to say, you know, for those people as well, what you said about the Samaritans, brilliant. Talk to them. 
you need to talk to somebody. Um, I um, I bottled something up for like, well, since I was the age of nine, and now I'm 44. So work out the maths because I can't figure it out myself right now. <laughs> but um, I bottled something that had happened to me a long time ago. I'd totally blocked it out of my mind. And it only came to the fore earlier this year. And I really did not think, without going into too much detail, because I don't know, I'm not going to be posting this archive on my page. <laughs> I've got other people there that I don't really want to um, see. But anyway, um, basically it was something I blocked. Uh, it came to the fore this year, and I honestly thought nobody would believe me. Exactly what you said earlier, you know, how do you tell somebody something like that? Well, yeah, nobody would believe you. But, you know, finally I took the guts and told one person. And to hear the words, I totally believe you, I just I just felt the weight had just lifted off me. And it was like, oh, my God. All these years I could have changed my life because it also explains how I have been in my life and in my relationships and how I've dealt with the decisions I've had to deal with in my life. And I could have prevented all those decisions, you know, the bad mistakes that I've made, if I'd owned up a lot sooner and had the counselling a lot sooner. But um, I'm dealing with it now. I've got a counsellor that I'm dealing with. Um, and a lot of information is coming out in the counselling sessions about why... I've acted the way I have, and it makes sense. And um, I mean, if you want, I could talk to you privately about this because I'm I'm okay about talking to people about it now. So um, that's not a problem. But I mean, I also went through death at an early age, and part of my other problem was when I was six years old. I, I can openly talk about this because it, you know, it's it's part of me and it affected me a lot. Um, when I was six years old, my brother, who's nine years old, he was my best friend. He was my soulmate. He was everything to me. We were inseparable. Uh, one day, you know, we we're playing away. Next day, he goes to school, um, expecting him to come back, like, you know, three o'clock, four o'clock, school time finishing. So I'm sitting there playing, wanting him to play with me and knock on the door about, couple of hours later than he should have been home. I didn't know what was going on. I was six years old. I look at the door. My mum's at the door, and there's two policemen there. And I think, okay, I don't know what's going on. Next thing you know, mum's crying. A couple of days later, I'm like, where's my brother? I haven't seen him. Where is he? You know, why can't I play? I'm six years old, for goodness sake. I just want to play. Nobody would tell me anything until a few days later... A lot of people started coming to the house, and he's lying in a box, sleeping. That's exactly what I thought. He's lying in a box, yeah. and he's sleeping. I'm like, wake him up. I want to play with him. This isn't time to sleep. Everyone's around him, crying. I'm like, what the hell is everyone crying for? Yeah, I want to play with him. Somebody slaps me on my face. Go upstairs and play. So I go upstairs, crying because somebody hit me, and I just wanted to play with my brother. And I never saw him again. 
Now, that's how I remember my brother dying. Obviously, in our Indian culture, we have like an open casket and we have the funeral, you know, the ceremony and that. That's what had actually happened, but I didn't realize that at the time. And then all I thought was he'd left me. I yeah. that, That's all I thought. And then after that, I had nobody to play with me. And then next thing you know, uh, a few years after that, you know, went to school, blah, blah, blah. A brother, my other brother, committed suicide. Uh, I think he was in his late 20s or early 30s. That's why what you talked about earlier kind of triggered me because you just mentioned somebody that committed suicide at 30. And that triggered that, which I can totally relate to. Again, I did not know the background about why he died because nobody in the family told me as I'm the baby of the family, you know? Yeah. And then after that, yeah. I mean, I've had other deaths. My my mum died uh, after I got married, a few months after I got married. Um, that was all sudden. Again, it was a life support machine, and we had to take her off this life support. But the worst one was my sister. I was with her at the time. She was in agony in bed, rolling up and down. Uh, the doctor had been giving her some medication or whatever, and I just came downstairs to tell my brother-in-law, look, get her in hospital. Because I've had a, um, aneurysms in my head myself, so I was near to death myself. And, you know, the doctor said, in my case, was just a virus, nothing to worry about. But then until my sister insisted, I went into hospital. That's when they found the bleed in my head. And the doctors, I remember telling my sisters this, the doctors told them that, glad you came in because she would not have survived this. But I survived that, that was fine. But my sister, I went downstairs, told my brother-in-law, get the ambulance in, get her in hospital, it ain't right. And he goes, oh, the doctor's been, everything's fine, he's given her medication. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go upstairs and sit with my sister for a while. As I went there, her um, other in-law relatives were there, and they said, oh, she's finally fallen asleep. Okay, so I sit on the bed, and I think, oh, what's happened? You know, how can she, from one minute, go into agony and then all of a sudden sleep? At that point, her cousin said, oh, it looks like she's not breathing, but I don't know. Because then instantly I went for the pulse. I tried to wake her up. And luckily all my YTS training came into effect and I tried to to resuscitate her. Anyway, um, without going into too much detail, she didn't pull through. But I also turned my back on the spiritual world at that time. So I can totally relate with you in the fact about God and how you didn't want the mention of God because if that was yeah. the case, your your daughter wouldn't have been taken away. I pleaded with God that night to help her live. But obviously, what I did wasn't enough. Um, the, on top of that, the ambulance people got lost, so they arrived a bit late. So they couldn't do anything. But yeah, I've had a lot of death. And um, it has caused a lot of depression in my life. And the last straw was when my husband and I divorced. Yeah, Up until yeah. that time, my doctor never told told me. He, my doctor kept insisting have antidepressants, and I said no, no, no. I did not want antidepressants. I could get through it. But when I went through the divorce, that's when um, I finally gave in. I said, you know what? Let the doctor deal with it. He knows best. I took the antidepressants, but I can honestly say the antidepressant I was on ruined my life even more. My anxiety yeah, levels yeah. are so high. I've developed mild agoraphobia. 
And this is somebody who used to have a really good job with the council, well paid, two buses to get to work and back, very outgoing and lively. And now I'm isolated. And there are times when you feel like you're alone, but you know, I'm so glad that this year a fellow that I was dating kind of it, because of him and a conversation we had, all this stuff came to the fore. I am no longer dating that person because I don't think he could handle the situation or whatever, but he then broke up with me, which also broke, broke me down a bit more, and I went into a self-destructive mode by drinking and smoking. But, you know, I I pulled out of that, and I decided exactly like what you've just said, you've got to do it for yourself. And I'm so glad that I went to the counselling, because I think it's really helped me a lot. And I've exactly. made it made a decision, I'm going to focus on Lena now. <laughs> no fellas in my life, because up to now, the fellas have just been bloody abusive. <laughs> you know, they don't know a good thing when they've got it, but, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm getting there. I'm working what on myself, you? and I'm getting there. Well, I know for one, for me, and for everybody in the chat, we're proud of you. Well done. It takes... I mean, thing is with me, I've, I'm... I wanted to be a voice tonight, do you know what I mean? And I wanted to be able to make people realise that I'm not just Ask Sue that does about, you know, BSL laws and everything. This is somebody that is doing the 17 hours or whatever, but also has got all this to do on as well, do you know what I mean? And I wanted people to see that when you're talking to the Ask Sue, it's not just Ask Sue, it's it's more than that, you know? Can I just ask you, I've got another caller, but I just want to ask you, I, I always think that um, with children that have to deal with death, I've heard of people when they don't let their children go to the the um, the um, funeral and, you know, everybody acts different. Do you think you would have been able to, it would have been better for you if your parents had actually gone through what was actually happening? Exactly. I think it would have helped me a lot. Because as I said, this is how I remember my childhood. I don't remember my childhood. The only thing I remember is this thing from six six years old. You know, I mean, I was born in Uganda. We moved to England when I was three years old. So I can't remember any life before three. But then if I think about it, I don't remember anything before six. The only thing I remember is me and my brother playing, hiding on the bed when it was bath time because my mum used to pull our hair, combing our hair. And we just wanted to be filthy and messy and play around like little kids do, you know? That's all yeah. we wanted to do, and it was we were totally inseparable. And then for one day, playing with him, thinking, oh, he's going to school, he'll be back in the evening and we'll play, and then all of a sudden, I don't see him. And I'd, yeah. I blocked yeah. out the rest of my childhood. I can't remember anything from my childhood. Even after that, I, I still can't remember a few items until my... Um, oh, hold on, my cat's just... Oh, come here, darling. Sorry. My cat tried to jump up on me and got her claw caught, and she kind of slipped <laughs> and fell. And Yeah. Me old cat. Right. Yeah, but it does help. If children are going through this, I think it's advisable to at least try and explain it to them, answer yeah. your question. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Lena, I'm sorry to have to let you go, but I've got another call I want to bring on. Um, so I shall catch up. We definitely have to the show, Okay. And uh, I'll right. speak to them. But thank you very much for calling into show. I really appreciate that. All right. And you take care and take time for yourself, girl. I will do. Thank you, All darling. Right. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.
Thank you. Bye-bye. And that was Lena. Thank you very much, Lena, for coming on to the show. Yet again, another person that we speak to every single day and obviously has hidden past that, you know, at the end of the day has obviously kept very secure to her. Um, I'd like to welcome on the next person whose phone number ends 342. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, it's Jen Greener. It's um, who, sorry? Jen Greener. Hi, Jen, how are you doing? I'm okay. I just felt like I had to call. I'm still really emotional, but I just felt like I had to call to say thank you because it's it's been like a therapy session for us all, I think, and to, to do what you've done tonight, I know you felt like you had to do it for yourself, but it was just a really, really brave thing to do, and I think you've touched us all. I think it was really amazing, and I, fe- I felt privileged to to hear it. But, Jen, um, I think I need to give you a big, massive hug back because it seems to me like you've been in pretty well the same place as I've been too. Yeah, I think, like I, like I said in chat, you, when, it, when it's happening to you, you feel like you're alone. It's never happened to anybody before. But the more people you talk to, it's it's not as uncommon to yeah. to lose a baby like that, I don't think, I think. It happens more often. I think it's one of those things that people don't like to talk about because it is yep. such a like a personal thing. Yeah. And the other thing is I, I need to mention is like I can remember like when I'd lost Kevin, how many people avoid you? Yeah. They don't yeah, they don't know what to say. Or even if they just said, I'm sorry for your loss and then walked off. But people yeah. just avoided you. Yeah. You know well, when I lost when I lost my second little boy, it was actually the day after my husband's brother had had his baby. So, like, the whole family was excited and everything, and we were meant to be going to see him just after I found out, because we found out, basically, my baby stopped moving, and it was the second time it happened, and I think I just knew. And I went to the yeah. hospital, um, and they couldn't find a heartbeat. So then um, oh, I didn't actually give birth till the next day. They said, like, come back into hospital, and we'll induce you. So um, I was meant to be going to see his, my nephew that night. And everyone was like, oh, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. And I was like, look, he's my nephew. I want to go. Yeah. You don't have to sort of, yeah, I'm devastated. And it's, but this is still a new beautiful baby. And yeah. it's not this baby's fault that this has happened. And I still yeah. want to be, like, happy for you. Exactly. But the thing is, like, when I went with my ex and I went to the, our fam, our friend's house it was like my ex was trying to be this big i am oh i can hold the baby and i'm strong and everything yeah, yeah he was because he was just different than me i got a bigger heart let's just say do you know what i mean and yeah and i didn't want to hold the baby at that time i felt like i was going against my little girl i didn't i want it was bad enough for me to go and actually see a baby that was literally born near enough the same day without yeah. literally having to hold it as well. I didn't want to deal with that at that time. Now, and everybody's different, aren't they, Jen? You know, you know, people exactly. say everybody acts different. I mean, I did see a comment in the chat saying about um, I'm still grieving because I went and did um, a charity thing. I can honestly say that got me through it. Because I would have been a bloody mess without it. Everybody's different. Everybody grieves differently. Some people talk about it. Some people don't. Some people are emotional. Some people just top themselves because they just can't cope with it. But, you know, everybody's different. You know, everybody acts differently. So, you know, nobody can knock anybody for how they do that, you know? 
And I know everybody yeah. wasn't, nobody was knocking me in the chat, and I don't mean that, you know. But, you know, everybody acts different, so it's just crazy, to say the least. But yeah, I'm sorry, because I've got another caller I, okay. I want to just very quickly get thank, to. Thank Jen, you very much for, for letting me talk and stuff, and exactly take time for you, like, like Lena said. Yeah, and you, Jen. You look after yourself, too, okay? Oh, and, you know, any time you want to have a natter after the show, by all means, get in touch. And I appreciate oh, you calling in. You. It means a lot. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, darling. Ta-ra. Bye-bye. This is why I love the Asu show when we've got such stars like that. They are absolutely amazing. Um, right, now I've got a phone call on. Let me have a look. Um, with uh, a number 572 on the end. Hi, how are you doing? Hello, Sue. It's Jets. Hi, Jets. How are you doing, darling? I'm doing all right, my lovely. Look, I'm really sorry for your loss. You know, you're such a lovely, strong woman. And I kind of feel a little bit like, well, I don't really know if I want to talk now. I feel a bit, oh, I don't know, you know. Because um, <laughs> I, I saw that the show was about depression. And when you started talking, things that you said resonated with me. And I wanted to tell you just a little bit about myself. I won't go on because I know you've got people waiting. But, well, it's only um, because we've only got nine minutes. I don't think I'll be able to take any callers after you. So go ahead, love. You're all right. <laughs> all right, then. Um, when I was born, I was born into a single-parent family, and I was abused by my mum mentally and physically um, from right, right from the moment that I was born, really. Um, she, used to, she used to do horrible, nasty things to me. Um, she used to do things like she'd she'd come down to my level when this was when I was about three or four years old, and she used to say, "Give mum a cuddle," and my heart would burst because I thought she loved me, and there'd be something in my mind that'd say, "No, don't do it." But I used to run to her all the time, and I used to run, throw my arms around her, thinking she loves me, and she used to dig her fingers in between my ribs as hard as she could, leaving bruises. And I was oh, getting a little bit. Oh, never mind. And then. Um, as I got older, um, she used to do things like she used to take my sister out. I have an older sister. She used to take my older sister out of the house and leave me at home for hours just alone by myself, and I was so terrified. And then when I'd come home, if I'd done something like switch the television on, um, she used to beat me up for it. And like one Christmas, um, she left me, and the um, Christmas tree lights were on. And because they were faulty, the tree caught fire. And I was six years old at that time, and I switched the lights off. And when she came home, I got battered because I'd touched the tree when I wasn't allowed to touch the tree. And um, it, it was my grandmother that saved me. My, my grandmother, she was the exact opposite. She was always there. She was always loving. She always cared for me. And um, when I was about five years old, I discovered my mum's stash. I've never told anybody this. I've discovered my mum's stash of uh, porno pornographic magazines and I went through them all because I was just a kid and I didn't know and I went through them all and I ended up uh, wetting the bed at night and I'd get battered for wetting the bed and I stopped talking to people and I got battered because I wouldn't talk to people and it was, um, it was eventually, only a few years ago, it was, uh, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And um, as, a result of it, as a result of what I'd seen when I was a child, which I should never have seen, but even to this day, my mum, my mum will never call me. I have to call her. And when I call her, she says, what do you want? Oh, it's you. What do you want? And she says to me, why don't you just pop round and come and see me? So I pop round and I and she says, oh, what do you want? And then she says, well, you need to ring me before you come round because I might be busy. So I ring her and I say, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm busy tomorrow. Okay, what are you doing the next day? Oh, I'm busy the next day. 
what are you doing the day after that? Well, why don't you tell me when you're free and I'll pop around and see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And yeah. it's just, um, that's where I got the bipolar from. But um, if it wasn't for the bipolar, I wouldn't be the person I am today. I'm positive. I'm happy. Because of my traumas, I can look at people with a, a kind of sympathetic eye, you know? And I can see people have their problems and I can sympathize with that because I'm a strong person because of everything that's happened in my past. Um, I was raped at gunpoint, and um, even though uh, a member of the public handed the gun into at the police station, my mum, uh, she turned up at the police station and she called me a liar. She said it never happened, I was lying, and the reason why she said that was because the person who had raped me was a friend of my sister's. And so oh, I dropped the charges, I couldn't go through. I thought if my mum and my own mum's standing there calling me a liar, I can't stand in front of strange people and, and convince them I'm telling the truth, even if they, they did find the gun, that's, you know. So I never, yeah. I never ever press charges about that. And I live on an island that's 45 square miles. I'm terrified of going out in case I bump into that twat again. <laughs> I don't want to see him. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Oh, dearie me. I'm, I'm getting a bit... Mm. Do you know what, Jet? I've spoken to you quite a few times on, obviously, these BSL laws and everything, and we've done... And I just want to say to everybody, this last... I already thought was amazing by what she does to help Worldwide Canine Crusade and how she's helped Claire and Dave, um, Claire and Dave, that's the same person, <laughs> Claire and Steve and myself. And do you know what? She is an amazing. And do you know what? You've just tripled your amazing. And I am so glad that you've rung into the show. And I just, if I could, I would give you a massive hug right now. You are amazing. Well, I'd give you a massive hug too because I think you're amazing. You know, I think it's because we've come from where we've come from. That's what's made us amazing. You know, we survived. Yeah. We lived through it. Absolutely. Well, all, well do you know what, Jets? Uh, I'll say this for you, and, and I'll say this to everybody in this thing. I do this Ask Sue show for a reason, and it's to fetch people together. It's to help people. And when I say Ask Sue family, it's now just gone up in the ranks. So I just want to say to everybody, we are going to have more shows like this. And if everybody wants to have another show tomorrow night, continuing on from this, because unfortunately we're running out of time. And I know there's more people who want to ring into the show tomorrow. Um, if anybody wants um, me to do the show again tomorrow night and continue, please give me a quick message on the chat. Um, and Jet, if you want to call in tomorrow um, and, do, and, and tell us a bit more or you want to talk to us or whatever, by all means, you're welcome to call in tomorrow. Yeah. That's absolutely fine by me. Absolutely, I'll do that. All right, then, my darling, you have a good night. Yes, and you, darling, and thanks ever so much for calling into the show. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, no problem. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Take care. Yeah, Love. all right, then. Big hugs, Bye. love. Speak to you soon. Bye. Sure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, guys, I do not know where that two hours has gone, but all I need to say to you is... A massive, massive, massive thank you to every single one of you that's listened to the show tonight. I want to say to everybody, you are all a big part of, if you like, my healing, but hopefully continue with your healing too. And also to say that tomorrow night I am going to obviously talk about more what's gone on, but also want to get a few people to call in about what they've gone through and how they feel. So um, just for anybody that's listening to the show, this will be a, a continued on the 2nd of August, um, and I want you to call in. 
I also want um, people to know that you can actually call Samaritans tonight. And anybody that has listened to this show um, and, has, you know, has had the same thing tomorrow. It, I'm sorry, I'm reading the chat as well as typing. Um, if anybody, you know, has had a lot of problems and can't talk about it on the show or, or hasn't got anybody to talk to, please, please go to that link that I've just put on and give them a call. They are there to help, and everybody needs somebody. So at the end of the day, I need you all to call in and pass the links round to everybody. You know, we're there for each other, but at the end of the day, I'm not a counsellor. I've been through things, but I need you all to know that there is people out there and to give them a call. So please, I'd like to thank you, thank everybody so, so much for their calls in, their support and everything else. You're absolutely amazing. And the Ask Sue Show, I hope, will bring people together and obviously bring, you know, these causes all together. And that includes the worldwide caninecrusade.com. Please, everybody, go and join tonight. Of course, I'm going to have to do a quick shout-out for there because, you know, at the end of the day, I've got a 1,000 people in the Ask Sue Show group. And we have, I think, I think Claire will just vouch for how many we've got. I think it's about 200 and so I need everybody to go and join that. It's, a, it's obviously a charity that's close to mine and Claire's and Steve's heart. Um, and when we are working our backsides off for this. So, you know, please, everybody, go and join up. Uh, Worldwide CanineCrusade.com. And I'd like to thank every single one of you for all of your support. And uh, by all means, we will be doing a show uh, tomorrow to continue on with this. So thank you very much to everybody who supported me, and thank you very much uh, for joining in, listening, and definitely to Jets and Lena and everybody who has tried to call in. Thank you very much indeed, and I shall speak to you very soon. I'm going to finish the show with a bit of Enya for a bit of relaxation, and love to every single one of you. So thank you very much for that, and I shall speak to you all very, 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 very soon. Love to you all. Bye-bye.